Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to ASHTO Resource q and I'm Brian Johnson, and with me is our producer and co-host, Kim Swanson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening today. Yeah, today we're going to do something. This is the beginning of a several-part series where we explore the amount of findings. Well, I guess we're not going to just count findings, but we're going to talk about the most common findings or nonconformities that occur during assessments when our laboratory assessors observe testing in the field or currently virtually. The first subject we're going to discuss in this series is going to be on the maximum specific gravity test for asphalt mixtures. That is ASHTO T209 and ASTM D2041. Because we wanted to get the most up-to-date information, we invited some people to help us through this journey from the laboratory assessment team. We've got Christina Mari. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Brian Kim, for having me. And from the ASHTO accreditation program, we've got Esther Love. Esther, welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Now, the reason why we have a laboratory assessor and quality analyst here is because we're going to talk about what happens at the laboratory and then what happens to resolve whatever these nonconformities are. The first nonconformity we're going to talk about is the one that happens the most, and that is related to equipment. So uh, there are actually two equipment nonconformities that I see on the list. One is about not including the residual pressure manometer or vacuum gauge connected directly to the vacuum source or in line close to the source. And then there is another nonconformity about not having suitable traps. And I presume that that is a, a safeguard. Uh, Christina, can you tell me more about those two findings? Yeah, I see these ones quite often. So the first one you mentioned is about having a pressure gauge or a manometer directly on the vacuum source. So that is an ASTM only finding. So if we write that finding up on a report, that's only not conforming for ASTM. And basically why I think that is in the standard is to be able to compare the pressure gauge or the manometer that's on your you know, vacuum container with your sample to the pressure gauge that's on your vacuum so that you can see if there's a difference. Because is there, if there is, you, know, you more than likely have a leak somewhere in your system, including those traps that you just mentioned. And those traps are basically just to catch like water so that it doesn't end up in the oil of your vacuum. So both of those nonconformities are related to equipment that don't seem to necessarily impact the test result very much. Is that your understanding, Christina? Well, I, I would think that it could possibly affect test results. If you have water in your oil of your vacuum pump and you're not getting the pressure that you need, you're not you know eliminating the air from your sample as efficiently as you would if you were using the correct pressure. Oh, that's a good point. Now, why do you think these come up so often since they are specified in the in the test method? Well, with the first one, you know, like I said, the ASHTO version of this method does not require that second vacuum gauge. So 
that could just be, you know, lab personnel are only reading the ASHTO standard and not the AACM standard. Uh, for the traps, I really don't have a good answer why someone would not use your traps. Maybe they just don't have them and feel like buying them. I don't know. In ASTM, is there a diagram for how this is supposed to be constructed? Because this isn't one of those things that you can just get out of a box and plug in, right? Right. There is no diagram in D2041, but there is a diagram in T209, and that's figure one. But again, if you were trying to set up a system that complied to D2041, you could take a look at that figure, but then again, you'd have to add another pressure gauge or manometer on the vacuum source or near the vacuum source. Okay, thanks, Christina. Now, Esther, we're going to put you on the on the hot seat here. So when you have issues like this identified with the setup, from a resolution perspective, trying to get through, resolve the nonconformities and maintain or obtain ASHTO accreditation for those standards, what would you expect to see from the laboratory? So for someone that's missing their vacuum, they don't have that second pressure gauge or the manometer listed, we'd want to see initially that you ordered it. And I think to resolve it would be to see a photo of it in place and set up correctly. Okay, that makes sense. And then what about the traps, the water traps or thousand milliliter flask, whatever it says in the standard? Uh, what would you expect to see for that? I expect to see the same thing. So if you're waiting for it to be ordered, send us that you were ordering it, but also at the end of the to resolve it, I would want to see a photograph of it set up correctly according to the standard. All right. Well, what about any corrective action report? Would you expect to see much for that? Uh, that depends on whether or not this is a repeated finding. So if this is something that came up in a previous assessment, I would want to see a corrective action report. But if this is something that's a first time note for your laboratory, then you wouldn't have to complete a corrective action report. Okay, well, that seems pretty straightforward. Uh, so that's the big one there. So with the setup, now that the other, there were a couple that were different variations of the same type of finding related to the temperature of the water in either the bowl or the bath. So in this test method, they can take measurements in a bath, mass determinations, or they can fill a container with water and take the measurements of the mass on top of a balance. But in either case, it seems like there's a requirement to check the temperature uh, of the water. Now, Christina, why is that? So the temperature of the water or the water in the water bath for weighing in water determination needs to be verified because this test method is used to determine the theoretical max specific gravity at 25 degrees C. So if you were not determining at 25 degrees C, you would have to adjust um, through calculation, which is why you need to check and verify. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, so that needs to be done, and otherwise you could have erroneous measurements. All right, now Esther, somebody isn't checking this during the assessment. What kind of corrective action would you expect to see to resolve this? So to resolve something like this, it is a procedural. So they would just need to indicate that their technician had been retrained on that test method. And if it came up that they weren't using the correct thermometer for that, that would be um, a different type of corrective action as far as presenting a photograph of the thermometer you're using, the type of thermometer, and then potentially the calibration record for that thermometer as well. But as far as if you're not checking it solely, that would just be to indicate you had retrained your technician on 
how and when to uh, check that temperature and where to record it at. Okay, so let's say that this is a laboratory that has received this nonconformity several times over the last few assessments. Is there any suggestion you would have for a laboratory that are trying their best to get people in the lab to make this measurement during the assessment, but it just, they just keep forgetting about it? Maybe they have a constant temperature bath and they feel like it's an unnecessary step on their day-to-day -day testing, even though it is a required step. Are there any things that, that you've seen that are effective that people can do in the laboratory to have a reminder for technicians or just kind of truly resolve this nonconformity? It depends. Uh, if your laboratory has a worksheet that they are recording all of those measurements at, make sure you have a spot on that worksheet to record the temperature. It's a good way to make sure that they are a little reminder for them to check that. Another way is um, I have seen some laboratories put reminders on or near the water bath, just kind of like a, a label that they put on there, check the temperature, make sure it's at 25, record it, uh, whatever you need to do to make sure that that happens. Because as we mentioned, if you do have a repeated finding, you're going to have to fill out one of those dreaded corrective action reports, and it's going to need to be thorough, especially if it's something that is continuously happening on multiple reports. Christina, have you seen anything else that labs have done in your explorations to remind them? Not really. I think just a, a post-it note, sticky note, tape, that kind of thing. So the, the other one that we, that we have on our list is related to taking the mass determinations multiple times. So it seems like there's a couple of different variations of this as well. Christina, what are the requirements for taking these measurements? of the sample and the container and the water. And are they different between ASHTO and ASTM? They are different between ASHTO and ASTM. But then again, they are also different between um, the specific methods like weighing in water and weighing in air. So if you're weighing in air, I believe both ASTM and ASHTO require you to repeat that process three times. And that I believe would just be for like variability and making sure you get the most accurate measurement. Um, I think for weighing in water, you don't really need to do that three times, but go ahead and take a look at the standard real quick. Um, right, yeah, so for ASTM and for ASHTO, if you're weighing in air, you need to repeat that process three times. For ASHTO, if you're weighing in water, you do not need to repeat the process. The once is sufficient. Okay, so you have to repeat the weighing. So what what does that look like? Does a technician have to spin around in between <laughs> determinations, or is there some sort of they just pull it out of the bath, put it on it, put it back in, pull it? Like what do they have to do? What does that look like when they're running the test? So that's repeating the entire process three times. Oh, the entire process three times. Okay, well that should help with repeatability, I suppose. When you're watching this being demonstrated. How often would you say, just in your own experience, Christina, how often do people remember to do that? During the laboratory assessment, most often, I mean, people remember, but since this is a top finding, I guess frequently enough they don't. But I think a lot of the time it's the nervousness of the process and the fact that we kind of skip through some steps. So, you know, in a normal setting, they would repeat. But for us, we're not going to have them do it three times. So we will be looking for them to tell me, hey, I would then do this three, you know, two more times for a total of three and take the average. But sometimes nerves can get in people's way and they say, okay, I'm done. And then, you know, say, are you sure? 
or anything else? Yeah, so often enough it happens, but I don't think um, on a live sample it would happen as often as it would happen in an assessment. Is any difference between when we perform these assessments in person versus virtually? Is there any difference as far as how they're running something like that for you as an assessor? Not with the weighing portion, uh, but with this test method in general, yes, I can't read your vacuum pressure, your manometer oh, from over the computer. So I need help from, you know, lab personnel to tell me, you know, it's in range right now. And so certain points I will just say, okay, go ahead and cut it because I'm not going to have you read it to me for 15 minutes straight, you know. But we're taking the measurements now. It's basically the same. Throw it in the water you show me the scale and when uh, we move on. Now, Esther, uh, we promised people a top five here, but it seems like all of these different nonconformities kind of boil down to just a few nonconformities. In your estimation of seeing different nonconformities written and corrective actions on this test, what do you think the most frequent nonconformities are that we haven't already discussed? I think one of the other frequent nonconformities that come up with this test method, especially for ASTM, is the type of thermometer being used for the test method. ASTM is a lot more particular in what they want for your thermometer than AASHTO test methods. Yeah, and frankly, that was one that I was surprised was absent from the list of nonconformities is the thermometer one. And maybe collectively over time, it hasn't risen to the amount. I mean, the one nonconformity has been written 133 times over whatever time period that data was pulled. I thought for sure the type of thermometer used would show up or how it's immersed. That happens quite a bit. Christina, have you ever run into a situation where you've seen uh, maybe the thermometer is chosen to be the correct thermometer, but it's immersed improperly? Maybe occasionally, but more often than not, I, I see an incorrect thermometer type. And then again, with the new remote assessments, uh, that's something that I wouldn't be able to catch as easily as if I were in person, if they were using a, a partial immersion thermometer and they totally immer immersed it, I would might not be able to catch that over the camera as I would on site. Okay. So since we're talking about the virtual assessment, you know, you mentioned it's hard to tell what the readings are on the manometer, but are people... Are they keeping up with the requirements for standardizing the, the readings on their manometers these days? What are you seeing? Yeah, for the most part, I check the calibration record for the pressure gauge, and that needs to be standardized every 12 months. And I generally find that pretty easily. I see that most people send that to an outside agency. I get the record, check it out, it looks fine. And then if you had a mercury manometer, that does not need to be standardized. So generally no issues there. Now, Esther, from a quality analyst perspective, you're seeing nonconformities and corrective actions on the technical part of the test method. You're seeing them on the quality management system requirements related to the test method. You're seeing equipment issues, all sorts of stuff. What do people have the hardest time with when they're trying to get accredited for this test? What is the biggest hang up or most challenging aspect of it from an accreditation perspective? So like the biggest issue that people have is if they use outside agencies, getting that equipment calibrated or recalibrated, et cetera, in a timely manner, especially with COVID. A lot of these agencies are backed up 
And so once you get that final report, you have 60 calendar days from the time you receive that to respond to all your nonconformities. So getting those pieces of equipment recalibrated or calibrated initially, it can take longer than that. So we will work with you if you have a piece of equipment that you sent out. Just don't message me the day before your report is due and say, hey, I sent this out yesterday. Uh, Try to get that out as soon as possible because it can take longer. But I feel like that would be one of the biggest issues that labs come across is trying to get those equipment calibrated in time. So let me run one by you. Let's say I'm a laboratory and you already mentioned that we have 60 days to get these items resolved. Let's say at day 30, I get a call from my calibration agency and they say, boy, we're really just not going to be able to get there for another, uh, let's say, 60 days. So that puts us from 60 to 90 days at that point. As a quality analyst, could you say, well, you know, since you let me know ahead of time, we can give you more time or is that not enough time? I'd say that day 30 is reasonable. Uh, Anything after that, kind of getting a little bit too close to your deadline to wait. But day 30, I would say that's reasonable. You let me know ahead of time. You knew as soon as you knew or you told me as soon as you knew. And so I would be lenient in giving you a 30-day extension to get that resolved. But if you got your final report in January and it's now October and you're still telling me you're waiting on that calibration agency, we might have a little bit more of an issue. I might try to push you a little bit harder to maybe find a different calibration agency or if it's something that you might even be able to do in lab yourself if you already have the reference equipment, might try to push you to maybe calibrate it yourself in some way. But we definitely try to work with you and be reasonable. We definitely understand uh, with everything going on that it is a little tougher to get things done in a fast time frame. Sure. Kim, we've been doing a lot of uh, technical discussion today on this episode, which I know you you love. Uh, (laughs) Did you have any any questions uh, that, that came up while we were having these discussions? It seems from the conversation that, again, there is kind of a theme of these top nonconformities. And I was just curious if that was surprising. I wasn't terribly surprised what those nonconformities were. I expected the pressure gauge ones. I expected the wait time, temperature. I did expect to have a thermometer note on there, one or two. But other than that, pretty normal to me. I agree with Christina. Working before as an assessor and now as a quality analyst, it's what I've seen a lot, what I've written up a lot. And I agree that the thermometer one did surprise me not seeing that on there. Do you have any like general guidance for laboratories that may be struggling with these types of issues or these specific findings of how to resolve it? We kind of talked about that a little bit, but do you have any like general or specific advice? So my advice would be you guys are already doing training every year. If it's a test method you don't run on a frequent basis, check that standard and make sure that you have the most up-to-date one as those do change sometimes on a yearly basis. Go through and make sure when you're training that you're hitting all of those procedural steps. Uh, Make sure that your apparatus is up-to-date. These are things that can really benefit long run so that way you don't run into these types of um, common findings. Okay, so that was our top five-ish nonconformities and how to resolve them for 
the maximum specific gravity test on asphalt mixtures, which is ASHTO T209 and ASTM D2041. Thanks to Christina and Esther for being our guests today and taking us on this little journey. And uh, thanks, as always, to Kim. Your future editing is greatly appreciated, as always. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resource's Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.